Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 4, Episode 49, brought to you by Lifetree at PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. Here we are, the week before Christmas. My name is Rick. I'm author of The God Who Fights For You and Last Year's Spiritual Grit and uh, the book Jesus-Centered Life, which this podcast sort of was birthed out of. And I'm editor of the Jesus-Centered Bible, maybe the most fantastic Christmas gift in the whole history of Christmas gifts. I don't want to hype it, though, so... (laughs) Uh, you know, by the way, we have links on our podcast page for if you're uh, last-minute Christmas gift shopping. There's still so many Jesus-centered resources that when you give a gift like that, you give a gift really of eternity to people because all of these resources are designed to help people develop a closer orbital relationship around Jesus uh, to really move them from the sidelines into intimacy with Jesus, and that will impact a person for the rest of their life. So imagine giving a gift that just literally keeps on giving for eternity. So there's a host of things, whatever you're interested in, devotion books, we even have coloring books, there's the Bibles I've already mentioned, all kinds of things there that could match any interest uh, level you have. So check those out on our uh, podcast page. You, again, you go to painridiculousattentiontojesus.com. And today's episode is Season 4, Episode 49. So that's what you're looking for. And this is the 15th episode in this long-running series we've been doing called The Beeline Practices. And the Beeline Practices, as you know, are a menu of possibilities in our everyday life of things that we can do or lean into or embrace that draw us just closer to Jesus, uh, just naturally. And when we are drawn closer to Jesus, something in us changes, because he's like plutonium. We get close enough to him, he radiates us. So that's the point of these beeline practices. Just It's not a list of, of, of difficult um, uh, skills to, to master or anything like that. It's just a menu of possibilities. And so Today, I've planted our next beeline practice squarely in the season of Advent. And Advent, you can think of it, Advent as sort of the poetic waiting room for the celebration of Jesus' birth. It's our seasonal journey to worship, to um, plant in us a, a focus on the incredible reality that Jesus, Jesus, who is light, penetrating our darkness— and helping us to see again. Um, so that's what Advent is, and this, uh, this beeline practice I've tried to adapt into the, the present moment we're in, um, the tail end of Advent. So we're going to explore the, today the beeline practice uh, I call in, in the Jesus-centered life, it's called waking up to metaphor. But for the purposes of this episode, we're going to say it's called be a holiday appreciado, how to become a holiday appreciado. So that's how I'm morphing this one. So my friend Tom Melton, my longtime pastor and friend, he made up that word, appreciado. It's a mashup of appreciation and aficionado. So an appreciado is a person who has become an aficionado of appreciation. 
someone who pays ridiculous attention to something, so much so that their appreciation grows and expands into something like worship. So an aficionado uh, is a person who savors things at a deeper level, a person who pays both quality and quantity attention to something in their life. And they do it so much that they can discern and delight in the nuances of that thing. That's how you become an aficionado, a person who has paid such close attention to something that that they understand the distinctness of the beauty that they're looking at. So here we are on the superhighway that is our holiday life and our holiday season. And what does it really mean to be an aficionado in the midst of all of this? Um, we could call it hustle and bustle. We could call it stress and pressure. We know that this is one of the most compact times of our life during the year. It's a, such a crazy stew of uh, joy and hope and longing and a re-embracing of the things that matter most to us, all shellacked over with consumerism and money pressures and time pressures and decision pressures. It's this crazy, it's the craziest time of year. So how do we approach um, in this next week the, the coming celebration of Jesus, modeling an approach to life that uh, is more like an appreciado, more, uh, more like someone who has woken up in life and is paying attention to everything around you? You know, when you're, on, um, when you're going really fast on the highway, it's almost impossible to notice minute details uh, in order to really experience um, the, the, the landscape you're moving through, you have to walk <laughs> or at the most ride a bike. It's like a, it's such a, an incredible gift that we have uh, air travel available to us. But you're not really experiencing the landscape that you're passing over. You're, you're, you're literally ignoring it because you can't do anything but that. So uh, the life of an appreciado during the holiday season means that we slow down enough to appreciate the landscape of this season in our life. All right, so the, the native language of Jesus is metaphor. So the, the little beeline practice in the Jesus-centered life is called waking up to metaphor. So what, what is metaphor? I'm saying that, that that is Jesus' native language. So think about this for a second. The second person in the Trinity... Um, who who lives in the kingdom of God, comes to live among his creation. That is the message of, cre- of, of Christmas, that Jesus, who is God, comes to live not among us as an other, but as a fully God, fully human person. He comes to live among his own creation. So the translation here that's necessary is as Jesus invites us back into relationship, into intimate relationship with God, is is to build a bridge between uh, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And he's not just building a bridge to God. He is himself the bridge. Jesus is that bridge between our reality and the reality of the kingdom of God. And that bridge is called metaphor. So that bridgeness that we desperately need is 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 uh, best described as metaphor, which means using something we understand from our own world, and we understand these things from the inside out. We really understand their essence. Choosing those things 
as sort of a stand-in for the things we don't understand and really can't understand about the kingdom of God. So examples of this. So Jesus compares us, us, you and me, to branches and to sheep and to brides and to fig trees, and he tells us that we're to move mountains and we're to become like mustard seeds and we're to search for hidden treasure or priceless pearls. Now, none of these things are literal truths. They're metaphoric truths. So when he compares us to a branch, he's, he's trying to help us understand something in the kingdom of God that is true. And when he says, you're like a branch, when we understand what a branch is like, then we're going to start to understand um, what, how, how Jesus is seeing us and how that branch is des- in desperate need to be connected to a vine, to be grafted into a vine, to share the life of that vine in its uh, dying branch marrow, to bring that branch to life again with the life it can only get from the vine. And then that once that branch has come to life, that fruit naturally appears and becomes something that people can pluck off of the branch and nourish themselves by. So all of this is what we observe when we pay attention to the relationship between a branch and a vine or a branch and a tree trunk. When we pay attention to that, we're understanding something about the the rhythm of relationship that Jesus is inviting us into and what that relationship will do in our life. Or when he just compares us to sheep who need a good shepherd, we under, when we understand more deeply what sheep are like and how they behave and what and uh, what their struggles and challenges are and what their limitations are, we start to understand ourselves in the eyes of Jesus. And we and when we understand what a good shepherd does in relationship to that sheep, then we start to understand the heart of God toward us. So Jesus uses these metaphoric truths to reveal Himself and to reveal what the culture and the kingdom of God is really like. And the remarkable thing is that Jesus has wrapped our whole life up in metaphor. There's not a single thing in our life that we experience that, all, that doesn't also have metaphoric meaning if we'll dip our bucket into it and pull out some water from it. So it's like we're surrounded by these metaphoric wells, and it's just up to us as to whether we're going to dip our bucket down there and drink from any of those metaphors. So uh, I've mentioned frequently on the podcast in Romans 1, Paul tells us that every created thing has, a, has m- the metaphor of God's heart locked up in it, so that if we just dip that bucket down in there, we get a drink of God's heart. So our living environment is, is literally built out of metaphor. As we go through life, everything that surrounds us is packed with meaning, but it's an invitation not pushed upon us. So the invitation is, will you taste and see? Will you slow down and taste me in the environment around you? So what does it mean, then, to move through this holiday time awake to metaphor? Or what is it? another way of saying it is, what does it mean to slow down and live our life as an appreciado in this season of, of expectation? Well, I love what G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, says— uh, this is so typical of, of something that Chesterton would say. He says, poets do not go mad, but chess players do. Poets don't go mad, but chess players do. What he's really doing there is he's encouraging the health of our imagination, the imagination of an artist, 
uh, a person who will uh, experience their surroundings and their environment and their circumstances imaginatively, metaphorically. So in our metaphoric approach to life, or the way that we embrace life as an appreciado, we slow down and experience all of this season as a living metaphor for our life, something that can draw us into closer orbit to Jesus. So if all of that still does not make sense, I totally understand. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's dive into something that will give us kind of, will ground us a little bit in how Jesus himself lives as an appreciado. So we're going to explore here a little section of his teaching, which is at the tail end of the Beatitudes. It's in Matthew chapter 6. In my Jesus-centered Bible, this section is titled Teaching About Money and Possessions, but it's actually kind of a misnomer. He's really here teaching us about the reality, uh, the metaphoric reality of our, of our life with God. He's trying to lift us out of our bubble, our small story, and lift us into the larger story of God. Um, that's actually a better, I think, section heading for this, lifting ourselves into the larger story of God. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. So this uh, is in chapter 6 of Matthew. It starts in verse 19 and goes all the way through, let's see, to verse 34, which is the end of the chapter. So I'll go ahead and read this little section, and then we're going to slow back, slow, slow down and revisit it as appreciados and see what we can unlock about metaphor and appreciating um, what we can appreciate in the holidays. So here we go. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. No, rather, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Look, no one can serve two masters, for you're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. And that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. There you have it. What an extraordinary passage there. And it is full of metaphors. So I thought it would be interesting for us now to just slow down, 
take on the mindset of an appreciado, an aficionado of appreciation, and appreciate every little thing that Jesus is pointing out here metaphorically. So the first thing that he talks about here is don't, don't store up treasures here on earth, where he says moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves can break in and steal. So the treasure on earth is vulnerable, is what he's saying. It's not permanent. It can be taken at any moment. It can be degraded and destroyed. It's, it's fragile. It's, it's like a blip. Um, there, there's nothing permanent or eternal about storing up our treasures here on earth. He's, he's talking about the kind of treasures that actually, well, the holiday fixes us, fixates us on, doesn't it? Whether we're buying gifts or receiving gifts, um, the, the fixation inevitably is on the storing up of treasures on earth, and how many treasures can we store up, and how much um, hope and delight and happiness can we wring out of these things as, as we experience them. The question is, um, how are we storing treasures that moths and rust can't destroy during this season? What do we do to store up treasures that aren't fragile, that can't be tainted or destroyed? What do we do with that? Well, what are, what are the gifts that no one can ever separate us from in our soul? I think uh, the answer to that, especially during this holiday time, is relational experiences. Now, that, mean, that can mean horizontal relational experiences with those around us, but also the vertical relational experience we have in our alone, one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus during this time. So let's take both of those just for a second. To store up treasure in heaven instead of earth during this time is to overvalue our relational experiences and purposefully undervalue anything that is a treasure stored up on earth, i.e. something fragile, something that um, has only a limited capacity to, to, uh, to increase our delight or joy. Instead, we invest, we make the intentional decision to invest in our relational experiences during this time, to be with people and to slow down as we're with them and appreciate their wonder and beauty to slow down enough that the gift that we give them is less about the thing that can be easily degraded or the takeaway from that thing, lessons and lessons over time. Instead of our focus being there, we give the gift of our presence, our whole presence. You know, during this time when we are so scattered and thin and stressed, to be paid attention to, to be savored by someone— to be truly seen by someone is by far the greatest gift, and that gift has eternal expiration date. When we have been appreciated and savored by someone, the sense of that never leaves us. It actually shapes our soul. So how can we give the gift of those around us our full presence? It's not easy because there's a propelling momentum that carries us through like a whitewater raft trip through this time. But what if instead we jump out of the raft every now and then, we swim to the shore and we sit, that we're present to the people in our lives. We slow down, 
We ask one more question than we normally would. We ask the question behind the question. We seek after the heart of the person rather than simply the details of their life. We ask questions about their heart during this time. Those are the kinds of questions that lead to a relational experience of the other and something that a treasure that then we store up in heaven where it can never be attacked by rust or moths. It's eternal. It can't be touched by those things. I just got a uh, uh, somebody in our, I think in our pigs community, just posted something about she just finished The God Who Fights for You and she wanted to post online about what a transformative experience that was for her. And what I so appreciated about her, this is Denise Silva I'm talking about, what I so appreciated about what she posted is that she spoke with a sort of humble, passionate abandon about how the experience of reading this book impacted her. She was unguarded, I guess is a, a good way of saying it. And in that, what she was doing was giving me the gift of her presence. She was giving me the gift of her whole heart in response to how she read my book. And in doing that, she gave me a great gift that will always be a part of me. Because she was fully present to me in her expressions about how what I wrote impacted her life, because she was fully present to me, she gave me a gift that moths and rust can never get at. Do you see what I mean? When we're fully present to people, we notice what we notice about them, we appreciate their nuances like an aficionado, and we speak them out. We say what we see in them. During this holiday time, I encourage you, as you're with people, to slow down long enough to be present to them and to say what you see about them. Don't let the opportunity pass. Be an aficionado of the people around you and the relationships that are gifts in your life. All right, the second thing that Jesus says here in Matthew 6 is, it's a funny little paragraph. We've heard it so many times, but if you slow down, you realize, huh, what is he really saying here? So he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep your darkness is. This is one of the more striking things for me that Jesus ever says, this little paragraph. Um, there is much more than meets the eye here in this little paragraph about the eye. So if the eye gives light for our body, then what are we seeing? How do we see? He's really saying your eye needs to be awake and unclouded. Um, otherwise, if it's darkened, the little bit of light you can see is actually really, in truth, it's darkness. So how do, we, um, how do we make sure our eye is open to receive the light so that our whole body, um, our whole body can be filled with light? Uh, how do we make sure that our eye is healthy? So um, here, here's my own sort of translation of this interesting little paragraph that Jesus uh, is teaching about. What would happen if we paid attention to our hopes and our longings during this holiday time instead of stuffed them or allowed them to develop uh, uh, sort of a, a, a painful response to those unmet longings and hopes during holiday time? A lot of times when we're with our family, it surfaces unmet longings and unmet hopes. Um, 
uh, the, the, the dreams that we've had for our life get exposed during this time. It can, it can be a time where it feels like the light that is supposed to be a reality during this holiday time is actually a darkness to us. Um, and why is that so? Because um, when we treat things as light that actually are darkness, then our darkness feels really deep. What I mean is we want our eyes to be clear and unimpeded, open fully to the light. So are we open and vulnerable and clear? Is there no way the enemy of God can leverage us because we have opened wide our eyes to our own soul and to um, Jesus who is the light? Are we seen right or is darkness clouding our sight? Uh, which is it? So to have a healthy eye means to have a clear eye, nothing clouding it. So I found that during this holiday time, stuff builds up. It starts to cloud my eye. The pressures of what I need to do and the expectations of others around me and the, the stress of trying to meet those expectations, all of those things cloud my eye. And the only way that I can uncloud my eye is to get what what I'm holding in the darkness into the light. So just the other day, I, I've told you before that one of my common practices is when I start to feel myself reacting rather than responding, where I'm, my, I, I'm unsatisfied with the way I'm relating with people in my life, where I, I've related to someone in a way that I think, wow, I got away with that. <laughs> um, I'm not very pleasant right now, and they let me get away with it. Have you ever had that feeling? and you kind of feel like you're locked into that mode of relating to people, well, this happens to me often, and when I feel that, I realize my eye has been clouded over. It's not open any longer. I can't see anything very clearly anymore. I'm messed up. I'm, I'm looking through this fuzz, and all of my reactions reflect that darkness. So what I do, and I did this a couple days ago, I go down to our basement and sit on this ratty old couch that's covered in cat fur. <laughs> and it's the reason I go down there is because I, I know, I, I have the visceral sense that I'm alone, that I'm cut off from everyone but Jesus at that moment. And that's so important to find a place where you can feel utterly alone, uninterrupted, no one will intrude into your vulnerability, and you simply speak out all of the stuff that's built up in you. All of the things that you're disappointed about in yourself and in others, you just get it out. You drag every one of those things, everything that's causing tension or stress in you, out into the light. And you're not asking Jesus to do something about those things. It's almost like you're offering them on an altar to him. You're, and it seems funny that you would offer the ugly in your, in your soul to him, but this is what he wants. He wants us to offer the raw material of our ugly so that he can take it and do something with it. If we don't offer him this raw material of our ugly, then he has no clay to work with. That's all he's asking. Will you come away with me even for five minutes, be utterly alone, drag all of this out of your soul into the light, and hand it over to me? I will take every bit of that clay, and I'll refashion it, even as you're giving it to me, into something beautiful. And by the way, I'll clear your eye up. Now, when I came back up from the basement, 
um, up into the land of the living again um, and entered back into the swirl of relationships at her home, I came back differently. I came back with a different eye because now my eye was healthy and clear and there was nothing really to leverage in me. There was nothing I was reacting to under the surface. There was no passive aggressiveness anymore because I'd gotten that aggressiveness out into the light where Jesus can deal with it. Jesus operates by invitation. So that means as we bring things to him, he can do something with them. But he's not going to reach in and pull it out whether or not you've decided to give it to him. So it's so important to slow down, find some alone, utterly alone time with him, even if it's just a few minutes, and give him what's inside you. Just pull it out and offer it to him. And then expect him to do something beautiful with it. When I do this, tears always accompany this. It, but these are tears of relief. Like I'm finally slowing down and stopping long enough to, to offer him what he really needs, the raw clay to make something beautiful. The next thing he says here is this a, a short little shotgun blast. He says, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Hey, you can't serve God and be enslaved to money at the same time. So really what he's asking you, asking us here is, what are we devoted to? And now, again, every one of these things we're talking about right now is a metaphor. <laughs> he's choosing something that we understand to help us understand a greater truth in the kingdom of God. So whether it's storing up treasures or clearing up your eye or serving two different masters, here he's asking us to slow down and become an aficionado. Pay attention to the metaphor he's using to unlock the truth that's behind that metaphor. So what are we devoted to during this holiday time? Well, I've already mentioned most people feel a lot of money stress, financial stress during this time. And there's a lot of pressure to perform, to make the people around you who you love, to, to make sure that their dreams are coming true. And part of that motivation, let's just be honest, we, we can't stand the thought of the pain of disappointing the people in our life. It comes from a good place in the sense that we love them and we want them to experience the depth of that love, but the way that we translate that, we are trying so hard to perform and make sure that their dreams come true. And unwittingly, we can get dragged down through that portal into a devotion to things rather than devotion to Jesus in the midst of it. So then what happens is that we end up serving this very demanding master. I got to do this and this and this, and oh, that's too much, but I have to do it anyway because I can't afford to disappoint the people in my life, and now we're serving a demanding master. So we need freedom from one master to be able to serve and obey the other. And, and that means we have to slow down uh, enough to recognize what's happening in us and what system or recipe we're operating with. Uh, is it really true that the things we give each other during this time, is it really true that those are the necessary cover charges for that person to experience our love and, and respect and affection and delight for them? Is that really true? 
the caution here that Jesus is giving us is, is just that. It's a caution. Be cautious about what master you're serving. And that's actually a good question to ask in the midst of your uh, the rapid pace that you're at. Just pause every now and then and ask yourself, what master am I serving right now? And if that master isn't Jesus, then it's very simple. Just do what a child does. It's, it's what repentance means. It means to stop walking one way, turn, and walk the other way. And when we repent, what we say is, I see what master I'm serving right now. I'm not going to serve that master anymore because I can't serve that master and also serve Jesus at the same time. So I am stopping serving this master. I quit. And Jesus, I just want you to know I'm turning so that I can serve you now. I want to be free of my slave relationship to that other master, and I'm giving myself to you now. I just want to serve you. That's just a form of prayer, just simply telling Jesus what you intend. And this, because he operates by invitation, is what he's waiting for. He's not going to force this turn. He's going to invite it. Will we stop serving one master so that we can serve him? The fourth thing he says here is about the worries of everyday life. So after he says we can't serve God and be enslaved to money at the same time, he says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And then he goes on from there to say, well, look at the birds. Study my creation. He's saying the worries of our everyday life, this is going to sound funny, but the worries of our everyday life, the antidote is to study birds and flowers. <laughs> and they're really stand-ins for all of creation. He could have put anything in there, study anything in the created world, because I've planted in them metaphors that should help you understand my heart, my kindness, and how I like to relate. So we're in desperate need of a reconnection to the metaphor of his creation, to be able to stop and be present to the rhythms of the children all around us. And by children, I mean the children of creation— the little boys and girls of flowers and birds that he's created in the world. What do we notice when we're around these things, when we're outside in particular? And the way that we figure out what we notice is that we notice what we notice as we're walking or riding or going from point A to point B. We notice what we notice in our environment, and we stop just for a moment. We drink it in. You know, we have a full moon. I just heard on the news last night that it's the last full moon of the decade. I thought, oh, that's right, 2020 is coming. But they were advertising that in the weather report that this is the last full moon of this decade. So when we're outside to walk the dog or to get the mail or to go to a neighbor's house or go to a neighbor's apartment, do you notice that full moon hanging there? And do you stop just for a minute to drink in the beauty of that moon and in that moment, you just silently invite Jesus to show himself to you through the beauty of that full moon. Jesus is saying the antidote to our worry and anxiety is to stop and drink in his creation, to watch how creation operates, to see the simplicity and childlikeness of that creation. In our small group that I lead, about 20, 25 teenagers in our house every week, uh, this week, we looked at and pursued and discovered the kinds of gifts Jesus gave him 
This was fascinating to me. We think about Jesus giving gifts to others all the time, gifts of healing and release from demonic oppression and release from all kinds of captivity. He's always giving gifts to people. But what are the gifts people gave him that he deeply appreciated and delighted in? That's what we were exploring together as a group. And at the end of that exploration, I said, now that we've seen the kinds of things that Jesus delighted in that were given to him and why he delighted in them, let's think about something we can give him that's in the spirit of that. And so I had everyone uh, choose a, a nondescript box. I had all kinds of different little boxes that we'd collected over the years, and a bunch of decorating supplies and some markers, and I had them just be silent for a minute and ask Jesus a simple question. And this is a question you can do as well during this holiday season. In fact, when you're done listening to this podcast, I encourage you to do this. Just be quiet and ask like a child, Jesus, what do you want from me for Christmas? What gift can I give you for Christmas? And then wait. Whatever comes to you, whether it's a word, a phrase, a picture, then draw a little picture of that gift on a little note card or a scrap of paper. And that's what I had these kids do. We were silent for about 60 seconds, and they just waited for Jesus to respond. And then whatever they got, they drew a little picture of it on a little colored note card. And then with these boxes that they'd each chosen, they put that note card inside the box, and then I gave them all these decorating supplies to decorate their box to reflect the theme of whatever it was they wrote on that little card. And then at the very end, I said, I'd like you to keep these boxes in your room somewhere, because this is the gift that Jesus has asked you to give him this year. So keep the box somewhere where you can see it as a reminder of the gift that's inside that you want to give to him. He's invited you to give it, and this will be a reminder of throughout the year to give that. Well, after it was all over, I, we had all of these very creative, decorative boxes all over the place, and I gave, gave people a chance to share with a partner what what was in their box and what they're giving to Jesus. And one of the, our longtime people, whose, whose name is Emma, had created such a beautiful little box that I, I just asked her, could you share with me what this box means, the way you decorated it? She had used some wire to create this uh, incredible uh, little way to uh, lock and unlock her box. So she untwisted the wire, and she opened the box, and she had gone outside and plucked some leaves from a bush and had arranged them inside the box to look like a wildflower. It was beautiful. And I said, what does that mean to you? Well, she quoted this very passage where Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. And let me read exactly the portion that was meaningful to her. Here it is in verse 30. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So she told me a story of how meaningful that verse is to her. And in her silent time with Jesus... Jesus said to her, you are that wildflower to me. You are that example of beauty to me. And what Emma said was, what Jesus asked me to give to him this year is myself. He told me that I am the highest gift he could receive from me. And so my gift to him is a wildflower, which is the name he calls me. The wildflower is, she said, you know, I'm crazy sometimes, and I'm all over the board, and I'm passionate, and I'm out there. And Jesus was trying to tell me, I love that about you. You are my wildflower. 
And so inside her box, she's giving Jesus the wildflower. Now, this is something that you could do, too. You could ask Jesus, what gift do you want from me for Christmas? And then whatever comes to you in that silent moment, draw a picture of it. Now, you don't have to decorate a box if you don't want to. My, there were some in the group that decided to decorate an envelope instead, and they slipped their card into that envelope. But in some way, keep that little drawing, that representation of that gift, and put it in something that you see every day to remind you of the gift that he's invited you to give to him. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a way that you can reconnect to, metaphorically, <laughs> to, um, in this case with Emma, the wildflower, or in my case, I, I drew uh, <laughs> uh, what I, the picture I got in my heart when I asked Jesus this question was the picture of a dice, um, or I guess you'd call it singularly a die, and what he was asking me to do is risk more this next year. That's the gift that I can give him, and the, in the risking more comes trusting more comes the belief in him that, that he is who he says he is. So that's the gift he asked of me. So the antidote to the worries of everyday life is the antidote of creation, the metaphors locked up in creation, the, where we slow down and study what's around us and invite it in like thirsty people. All right, the last thing here, the very last part of this, is um, uh, about worry. And he says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, or what will we, what will we drink, or what will we wear? Listen to this. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So the last thing that he's pointing out here is in this metaphoric virtuoso passage is we don't follow the soul patterns of unbelievers. And what are the soul patterns of unbelievers? Well, acting as though Jesus is just an idea, not really a person. Belief in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that he, he will do what he says he will do, is our really our highest form of worship. It's really speaking his love language. Belief, again, simply means acting as though he really is who he says he is. I know that sounds funny, but that's what children do. When with their parents, they, uh, children accept that their parents are who they say they are and who they, um, who they act as they are in their presence. They simply believe their parents are the kind, generous caregivers that they present themselves to be. That's what children do. So we don't invest our worry, Jesus says, in tomorrow because tomorrow really belongs to him. Will we believe in him to trust him with our tomorrow? That's what he's inviting us to do, and that is the antidote to worry. All right, gang, to wrap up, um, when we think about living as appreciados, being awake to the metaphors around us during this holiday time, here's just a shortened way of thinking about everything I've just said. Slow your walk down. Slow your talk down. Slow your responses to people down. Ratchet them down. Slow your preparations. And slow your conversations. Slow your walk. Slow your talk. Slow your responses. Slow your preparations. Slow your conversations. Tonight I'm going to go home, and we're going to decorate our tree. Usually our Christmas tree... A Christmas tree's been up for at least two weeks now. It was 
I think it was up actually before Thanksgiving. And normally what we do as a family is we decorate the tree and we play loud Christmas music and we have a wonderful time together. But I have an older daughter in college who had no time to be able to do that after the, the tree was up. And then all kinds of evening commitments uh, since then have kept us from decorating our tree. Last night I realized, oh, our tree's lit, but it's bare still. So I said to my wife, tomorrow night, I want to decorate the tree. And she said, really? Because she's thinking, of course, of her present reality and all the things she has to do. And I said, yes. And part of my yes is I want to slow down and savor the decorating of the tree. Every one of those ornaments is a metaphor in my life. I remember its connection to the person or time or place. So when I slow down to decorate that tree, I'm honoring my own story and the beautiful treasure of others in my life. So I'm not going to leave that tree bare. I'm going to slow down and savor that. And I'm going to savor the music in the background. I'm going to be present in the moment because that's how I can be an appreciado and not allow the pace and momentum of the whitewater raft trip of the holiday season to just carry me down over the falls. Instead, swim to the shore, slow down, and honor these little metaphors in my life to invite the story behind each one to show up, to surface, to be appreciated. Now, that's a treasure that nothing will be able to steal from me. All right, gang, thanks for listening. Remember to check out the Jesus-Centered Planner and all the other little Jesus-Centered resources we have available for Christmas time. Just go to paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com. Again, it's Season 4, Episode 49. Check out what's there and uh, give the gift that, that really will keep on giving. <laughs> These are wonderful ways to impact the lives of those you love. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. You can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk again next time.